Today we conclude our series, We Enjoy the Truth About God the Father, which is an amazing thing. So when Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he did not say, when you pray, say, Father of Jesus. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. You get to say, Father. Because that's what happens when we trust and follow Jesus, we get, we get, to, we get taken up in his sonship. And so God becomes not just his father, but our father too, which is an amazing thing. God the Father created us, he cares for us, he parents us, he helps us grow up, he loves us, he gives us good gifts. And today we're going to talk about how God the Father forgives through the Son, the Father forgives, which takes us back to our picture for the series, only a father who forgives will use their strength and their power to be tender and kind to their child. If this father's not a forgiving father, he's going to shake loose his kid's grip and walk away and be mad because his kid's not perfect. But a father who forgives will stay, will be involved. The fathers who forgives their mangle help the child grow up, and they know the child's going to stumble, make some mistakes in the process, and no forgiveness will be needed, and because the father loves the child, out of that love flows forgiveness. The Bible scripture is very clear that the Father forgives. Now, in our culture, it's actually more common to talk about apologizing and apologies accepted. Or saying, I'm sorry, and someone says, oh, that's okay. Forgiveness is different. It's deeper, it's wider, much more serious. And in a bit, we'll, we'll talk through a story Jesus told to get at the biblical understanding of forgiveness. But first, we're going to talk through what we're going to renounce and what we'll uh, uh, affirm at the end of worship today. Here's the lie. I renounce the lie that you, Father God, have condemned me and no longer forgive me. This is a lie. As we come to the Father through Jesus, he does not condemn us, and he does not say, well, time's up, too many wrongs, not going to forgive you anymore. There are times we may feel this way, and people in our lives may actually treat us this way, condemn us and say, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. But that's not how God reveals himself in Scripture to us. This is a lie, and it's a dangerous lie. It kind of seeps into our lives for a couple different reasons. First one, it's easy to assume that God's first impulse is just judge, condemn right off. Think about it. God's the creator, creates a perfect world, and what does humankind do? Messes everything up. So, of course, why wouldn't God judge, condemn, and write us off? He made us in his own image, every single one of us. He made it so that we are capable, we have the capacity to live up to the full goodness of God, and we don't. And our behavior, our actions, our words, our thoughts sometimes are God-less. And then Jesus, uh, the Father sends His Son, Jesus, to help us out, to save us, to show us the path of the Father, and sometimes we don't even want the path. We go, we want, we go wander off over this direction or that direction. So it wouldn't be surprising for us to think, well, I think God looks at humankind and just goes... Done. Judge, condemn, write them off. It's a dangerous lie because if we believe this lie, it causes us to stay away from God. I mean, if God's going to judge me, condemn me, and write me off, I don't, I don't want to get close. I'll just stay away. And that's dangerous because if we stay away from God, our creator, the only one who really knows who we are and how life is to be lived, very little good can happen in our lives. The other reason sometimes 
we think God condemns or, or writes us off is we assume God's forgiveness is conditional. Because in our interaction with people in our everyday life, forgiveness is often conditional. So to be forgiven, I have to be sorry for what I did. I, almost, I must do something to make up for the wrong. I got to keep doing what's good and right. I have to stop stumbling and falling. And then after a period of time, maybe then people will forgive me. We have this deep sense that forgiveness is only given when we prove we're worth it. And we know from experience that people will not forgive us if we fall again and again and again and again and again and again. They will forgive us when we shape up and change. But until then, forgiveness is withheld. And we're judged, we're condemned, we're written off as being unworthy of forgiveness. But scriptures, the Bible, reveals that God's forgiveness looks very different. This is the truth we'll affirm later. I choose to believe the truth that you, Father God, have forgiven all my sins and will never use them against me in the future. When God forgives us through Jesus Christ, there's a finality about it. When we're forgiven in Christ, the Father does not hold on to our sins, our mistakes, our stumblings, our failings, and then bring them up again in the future. God's forgiveness is complete. It's final. There are people in our lives who have dredged up the mud from our past and they'll throw it in our face. God the Father will not do this. And that's the challenge because we're so used to people remembering our past mistakes and bringing them up again that we just assume God is the same. I mean, the minute we stumble, they remind us, they bring it up again, they give us that look. We say to ourselves, here we go again. I just can't ever get out from my past. It's almost as if when we forgive people, we say, I forgive you for the moment, and I reserve the right to bring it up again in the future if I want. And then we transfer that to God. God forgives me, but boy, I'm walking on thin ice now. If I mess up again. The good news is that throughout Scripture, uh, the Bible, God reveals that his forgiveness is very different. The prophet Jeremiah said, and I will, speaking for God, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Never again remember. Gone. When our daughter Sarah was in high school, this, she was either senior, senior or junior, I can't remember. Uh, we had three cars. Two cars were in the, the, the garage overnight. We had a long driveway, a big lot. And about halfway down the driveway, I parked the car I drove outside. And every morning when Sarah got up, she would drive to school, and uh, she'd open the garage door and then back out, and she needed to be sure to turn into the opposite side of the driveway so she wouldn't hit my car. And every morning, uh, since Sarah's a little groggy in the morning as a high school, hard to get up, you know, get going, I'd say, Sarah, just remember, you know, when you back up, look behind you, and then you know, turn over to the other side so you don't hit my car. And when I first started reminding her, she'd say, yes, Dad. And then it became, yes, Dad. And then she just would roll her eyes at me as if she didn't know. Because when you're a junior, senior in high school, you actually do know everything. <laughs> I did. I don't know much now, but I used to then. So one morning, I give Sarah her normal reminder, and she's walking down the steps out in the garage. And for whatever reason, I thought, I'm going to watch this morning. So I walk over to the kitchen sink, and there's a window there, and I can see the driveway. See the garage door open up. See Sarah start to back out slowly. 
And I see that she's not looking backwards at all. And I watch her as she takes the car she drives and hits the car I drive bumper to bumper. And I hear the, you know, the, the crunch. No damage was done, but there was noise. And at the moment she hit my car, she whipped her head around and looked at the kitchen window. <laughs> and there I was. And her eyes locked. And she just gave us this sheepish, apologetic smile like. Then pulled forward, backed out, went to school. Uh, I don't know, I don't remember specifically that day, but oftentimes she would go to work and then she, she would go to school, then she would go to work. Sometimes she'd get home later. So when she got home that evening after school and work, do you know what I said to her? Nothing. Nothing. She knew what she did. She knew I knew. It was over. It's time to move on. No damage done. I did not constantly remember her mistake, and every morning from them, Sarah, don't hit the car again. I didn't rename her crash dummy Sarah. <laughs> She's my daughter. I love her. I forgave her. We moved on. And so uh, I did call Sarah to ask her to tell the stories. If I tell stories about other people, I get permission. And I said, now, Sarah, my memory is I did not bring this up again with you. Was that true? And she said, yeah, yeah, you didn't. It was over and gone. I thought, good. Because I'm learning from how the Father forgives and forgiving other people that way. So when we come to God and ask forgiveness through Jesus Christ, God the Father forgives, and that event, he just leaves in the past. It just stays there. And we move on to the future. God's not interested in harassing us about our past. God is very interested through his Holy Spirit in helping us build a future that brings him glory and brings us joy. Paul writes about it this way. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. Condemnation is incredibly harsh. It's when you're judged, put down, and kept down. You're trapped in condemnation. When we belong to Jesus, when we have placed our faith in his death and resurrection to take this sin stuff away from us, we are forgiven, we're lifted up, and we're empowered by God's Spirit to live for Jesus. We're not condemned and judged, but forgiven. We're not put down and kept down, but lifted up. We're not trapped in the past, but we're free to move into God's good future for us. Psalm 103, just a reminder, uh, Psalmist writes, He, God, has removed our sins as far as from us as the east is from the west. Not in the modern world, you know, I know, that if you, drive, if you go west far enough, you end up in the east, don't you? Because we live on a globe, a sphere, right? Well, in the Old Testament world, the ancient world, if you lived in Jerusalem, you didn't know that. And I knew if you traveled west, you got in a boat on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and you sailed off into what seemed to be an endless amount of water. Endless. And if you traveled uh, east from Jerusalem by camel or foot, it would seem that you would never get to the end of the land. In the Old Testament world, west and east are infinite distance apart. Never meet. So we're told God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't take our sin, put them in the back room, and bring it back out again when... No. Infinite distance. Sin is removed. 
So to help us figure out what forgiveness actually means and how, what, how God the Father's heart operates in this forgiving mode, we're going to talk through the story of the prodigal father. Now, usually it's called the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal means reckless or extravagant, and the son of this story is reckless and extravagant and wastes all of his inheritance money. But the father is more prodigal because when the son comes home, who's destroyed his own life, the father is incredibly extravagant in the way he forgives his son. The story begins with rebellion. Father's got two sons. The younger son says to his dad, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, the main group of people Jesus told the story to were the religious leaders of the day because they didn't understand God the Father's heart and they're always judging, condemning people. So Jesus tells this story to help straighten them out. Well, as the religious leaders were listening, they're already disgusted with this younger son because everybody knows in that time, in that culture, that when your father dies, the sons get different shares of their father's estate. Just the way it worked. And uh, everybody knew if you asked for your share of your father's estate before he was dead, it was like saying to your dad, I wish you were dead now. So no one did it except his son. And then the religious leaders were shocked, not only that the sons asked this question, but that the father actually gave him anything. If it had been their son, they would have beat him and run him out of town. Wouldn't have had any second thought about it. But then in their minds, the story got even worse because rejection happens next. The youngest son picks up all his stuff, all of his money, moves away, and he proceeds to waste all of his inheritance, every single penny, living this wild lifestyle. Everything his father taught him about what it means to be a man, his father's example of worshiping and serving God, his father's faithfulness to his wife, his father's servant leadership by taking care of the estate and all the people that he's responsible to save, his, serve his family and his servants. His son rejects it all. And he lives just for himself, just for the moment, just for pleasure. And the religious leaders listening to this story just disgusted. I mean, rebellion's bad enough, but now this son rejects everything his father has taught him. This son is beyond hope and beyond repair. He should be banished from his family and banished from the village. His name should never be spoken again. That's how that culture worked. And then self-destruction happens, of course. He runs out of money. And there's a famine. And food prices go sky high and you ate only if you had money and he doesn't have any. So he begins to literally physically starve. And the religious leaders... They like this part of the story. I think they were smiling. Kid's getting what he deserves. Rebellious kid rejects the faith, self-destructs. I hope the story ends with his starvation death. That's what he deserves. And then they're, they're even more appalled by the next section of the story, which is desperation. The son has no money, nothing to eat, so he hires himself to a local farmer feeding pigs. And he's so hungry the pig slop looks good. And the religious leaders listening, I don't know if they could keep quiet or not. I mean, they're thinking, this is despicable. This is a Jewish young man raised in the faith. He knows full well that pigs are unclean animals not to be touched or eaten. And now he's working with them. So he is unclean. He's unclean to God and he's unclean to his family. But the story's not over. Jesus said, well, 
The son comes to his senses, realizes he's starving, but back home his father's servants, they always have food to eat. So he comes up with this plan, I'm going to go home, tell my dad, I don't deserve to be your son, I sinned against God, against you, can you just take me on as a hired servant so I don't starve to death? And the religious leaders were thinking, that's a stupid plan. His dad will never speak to him again. His father will disown him. And if the son tries to speak to his father, his father will slap him hard across the face and banish him. The son disrespected his father, his family, wasted his inheritance, destroyed his future. He deserves to wander through the rest of life as a destitute homeless man. That's how they thought the story should end. Because if their son did that to them, that's what they would do. So they're just waiting. Because Jesus is this master storyteller to use stories to teach the truth and they can hardly wait to see how he's going to wrap this one up to drive home the point that this rebellious son should be severely condemned and punished. But that's not the story Jesus told. Instead of judgment, condemnation, punishment, the son experienced welcome, embrace, and celebration. The father sees his son returning home at a distance. He runs to him and welcomes him. He embraces him. He gives his unclean son a long hug. The father ignores the son's apology, asking just to be a servant. He calls the servant and says, get the finest robe, put it on my son. Get a ring, put it on my son. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a celebration because my son is home again. And the religious leaders who are listening are dumbfounded. That's not how the story is supposed to end. This is wrong. The son should be judged. The son should be, son should be publicly shamed. He should be banished. He should be driven out of town. Why would the father welcome and embrace and celebrate this rebellious son who's ruined his life? The religious leaders did not understand the heart of the father. Their heart was about judgment, condemnation, and punishment. And Jesus had to tell them a story within anything they never could have imagined to reveal to them that the father's heart is full of welcome and embrace and celebration because the Father's heart has forgiveness in it. John, decades later, wrote this verse about this experience of the Father's forgiveness. Such love, when you know you're forgiven by this loving Father, has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And the religious leaders of the day, they lived in fear of God. And they wanted everybody else to, too. And Jesus, the son, said, no. At the center of the father's heart is love that forgives. That's why the Bible is so important. Life's too short to guess about what God is like. You need scriptures, pick a copy up, read Luke chapter 15 for yourself. There's actually about three stories about God, the father's heart. Uh, all very important. Let's pray together. God, thank you that through our trusting in your son, Jesus, you are our father. And thank you that you are unlike any earthly father we've known or anybody's ever talked about. Even the best of us earthly fathers is just a little glimpse or glimmer of your goodness. And we're so thankful that your forgiveness, as Jesus explained it to us, is unique. It's complete. It's final. And your heart is not a desire to judge and condemn and punish, but in your heart is a desire to welcome us home, to embrace us, and to celebrate 
that were back in your family. We thank you for that. And I especially pray today for those of us who may be struggling to actually believe that this could be true and invite your Holy Spirit uh, to work deep in our minds and hearts and let it sink in and relax and rest that you, God, our Father, through the Son, forgives. We pray in Jesus' name and we all say, amen.